0: Well, good morning again. I hope you're ready for this. Uh, I'll tell you, this one's been cooking for a little bit longer than all the others, I guess. This is such an important subject. We've been going, of through course, through the book of Ephesians. So if you brought your Bible this morning, uh, pull it out, okay? And then open your Bible to Ephesians. That's where we're going to be. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. And uh, you know, as we've gone through Ephesians, really the Uh, the theme has been about our new identity, our our new life, okay? Uh, The first three chapters really uh, drilling, especially the first two, really drilling into us the difference that God has made in the world and in our personal lives. The difference that God has made uh, uh, in saving us from our sin. And now, these last three chapters, we talked about how they are really focused on Because of what God has done, this now is how we should live. We've talked about having a healthy body, what it looks like to be in a healthy body as a church. We talked about having new clothes, uh, putting on those clothes. We we talked about having a a new walk uh, just a couple of weeks ago. And this time, this morning, we're going to talk about a better marriage. Marriage. One of the wonderful things about preaching through books of the Bible is that if, if, if a guy that, like, like a topical preacher is preaching, he usually preaches about the same five topics. But if you're preaching through the Word of God, you get to hopefully experience the whole counsel of God and you'll touch on a whole lot of subjects that you would never have done so unless it was just some kind of an occasional message. This marriage we're talking about is not talking about some marriage between Christ and the church, although that's part of it. We're talking about marriages here. It's very uh, 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 practical to our time today. Charles Spurgeon once said, When a home is ruled according to God's word, angels might be asked to stay at the night with us, and they would not find themselves out of their element. So according to Charles Spurgeon, angels should feel at home in the home of a Christian. As Christians, all of our relationships should now be different than they were before. They should look different from those that we find in the world. Our our relationships with our spouses, our relationships with our children, the relationship we have with our work and our co-workers, even the relationship we have with our world should be different. And that's what the rest really of this book is about how our relationships should be different. So I want to ask the question, because I think Paul is going to answer it for us, what does biblical marriage look like? What does that look like? Well, if we go to Ephesians chapter 5, and we go to verse 18, which is where we're going to begin our text, we're going to read just a couple of verses, I'm going to pray, and we'll give it, uh, dive into it. Paul writes, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and for the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one uh, to another in the fear of God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your love and your care. Lord, just showing up in our life, you do that so frequently, and often we fail to see it. You show up and you show off in our life. Lord, the breath in our lungs belongs to you, and so Lord, we owe everything to you. Lord, I pray right now that we will see that and see that when your word is opened, we owe it to you to listen. So God, I pray you just help us to be prepared for this message. Help me to be prepared in delivering it, and I love you. In Christ's name, amen. The first thing Paul does is, Paul lays the foundation for a better marriage, a foundation for all healthy relationships, really. Paul opens with the command in verse 18 to be filled with the Spirit. He's already made the connection between the uh, Spirit and relationships in the letter to the Ephesians and in other books like Galatians, but being filled with the Spirit is the, the foundation to these new kind of relationships. He really, he first in that verse, he, he's contrasting two things. Uh, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, I, I divided this from our previous uh, text that we were in, talking about having a new walk, uh, because Paul in this verse is making a contrast that applies to everything else he's about to say. It's a contrast uh, between uh, what that the wise person is not going to be intoxicated with alcohol but, or anything else, but is instead filled with the Spirit. And the verb that Paul uses, filled, it really has nothing to do with quantity or as though we're empty vessels that need to be that need the right amount of spirit to continue forward in the bible what it means is to be filled it means to be controlled by so there's this contrast to be controlled by the spirit in luke 4:28 he he says a similar thing and all they in the synagogue when they heard these things jesus is in nazareth by the way and he's Preaching in the synagogue, he's teaching in the synagogue, and he's saying some things that really not everybody wanted to hear and weren't expecting to hear from this guy that uh, you know was just a home hometown boy. It says they heard these things; they were filled with wrath. So they weren't just you know angry; they were angry, and it was controlling their actions. In fact, they wanted to kill him. In Acts 13, 45, we see another similar uses of this verb. When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. Green with envy. And they spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Meaning, this means that all the Jews were controlled by envy. And it controlled the choices that they made. They were opposed to the ministry of Paul and Barnabas here in Acts chapter 13. And we have the same sort of experiences here in our daily life. We can be filled with envy. We can be filled with wrath. We can be filled with lust. And and that will control our actions. Uh, We can be filled with ambition. And that will drive our choices. Uh, And that will uh, make us push away other things that we deem uh, less important so we can achieve our ambitions. We can be filled with emotion. This all just speaks to what is controlling you. And so that contrast of, uh, of these two commands in this uh, verse 18, be not drunk with wine. Yeah, that's absolutely command. It's a sin to be drunken with wine. But really the focus is on that latter command, but be filled with the Spirit. Uh, we're to be filled with the Spirit. It means to be constantly controlled by the Spirit in our mind, in our emotions, in our will. We should be yielded to Submitted to and completely surrendered to the Spirit. Another good verse to consider adjacent to this verse in Ephesians 5.18 is Colossians 3.16. Paul wrote to the church of Colossae, Let the word of wisdom dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Let the word of Christ dwell in you. You know, the, the Spirit should fill us and control us and help direct our choices and our actions in our life. Now, I will say this is not the same as being baptized in the Spirit. And if you have a lot of questions about that, come to me and let's talk about it. I don't have time to describe it all this morning. But being baptized of the Spirit really happens one time. And it has a different meaning. Warren Wearsby, I like the way he explains it. He says, The baptism of the Spirit means that I belong to Christ's body. But the filling of the Spirit means that my body belongs to Christ. We're to be filled with the Spirit. We should be yielded, submitted, surrendered to the Spirit. The Spirit is available so that we can experience his illumination of of his will, his word, our weaknesses, and the reality around us. The Spirit is available so that we can experience his convicting of our sin and give us a burden for the lost world. The Spirit is available so we can experience his power in our life to grow and to, to serve him in a way that pleases him. And so when this happens... Paul describes that there's some results in the next couple of verses. Five things uh, that are both a cause, I think, and a result, but mostly a result. Speaking, singing, making, giving thanks, and submitting. It's all in those next three verses. So when the Spirit fills our life, these things are present as fruit of the Spirit, as being filled by the Spirit. Uh, the the first, we'll just kind of break them down into three little areas real quick. Uh, there's speaking, singing, and making melody. I'm going to put those together in verse 19, uh, where he says, uh, uh, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Uh, you know, we're a singing people. We're to be a singing people. You know, and, and uh, because God is too great to merely be talked about. <laughs> And we're not to just think about his grace and talk about it. We're to feel it and to rejoice in it. He says in that verse, making melody in your heart uh, to the Lord. We should also appreciate that Paul doesn't uh, limit the form of song that we sing. You hear me? Uh, it's, it's not, he didn't say uh, uh, speaking to yourselves in hymns and, and hymns only. No. You know why that is? Because God is varied in his appreciation for all forms of worship. If the intent of the heart is worship, then we ought to support it. God supports it. There's variety. There should be variety to our worship. He meets with us in a variety of ways. We should be able to worship in a, Him in a variety of ways. We should be able to li- drive down the road and, and listen to... Oh, goodness, Melissa, what's the radio station you listen to? KSBJ, yeah, listen to KSBJ. They might have drums and guitars, but it's okay. All right, it would be okay if we had them here. Pray about that. Maybe you have a hidden uh, musical talent you should share with the Lord. Grow our music ministry here. I, I, I spoke a few weeks ago when I was leading singing for Brother Eric he was in New Jersey that, you know, listen, these walls ought to shake with our worship. The people in the street that are at this bus stop ought to be wondering what in the world is going on in that place. Or the ones who are there regularly ought to go, man, they're having church again, I can hear it again. It should be something that happens every Sunday. We, uh, we should be varied and we should be heartfelt in our rejoicing and our singing and our, our, our making melody. About the Lord, also giving thanks in verse twenty. The next result is filling is is, is being uh, constantly filled with gratitude towards God. Colossians three sixteen. I read for you just a moment ago. Uh, it doesn't stop there. Of course, there's a wonderful verse that follows it, and I'm going to read them together in context. It says, "Let the word Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and again, variety, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let me, let me ask you a question. What kind of speech are you known for? Are you known for being a person who's constantly just uh, just uh, in a state of ongoing thankfulness and gratefulness? Uh, listen, if you're anything like the rest of us, because if you are, you're like that. That's kind of weird, okay, in our society today. If you're anything like the rest of us, you're probably not like that. You're probably uh, more known for being able to complain <laughs> and uh, to murmur, maybe pout when things don't go your way. Let me tell you, that's, that's not someone who's filled with the Spirit. Someone who's filled with the Spirit is going to be in a state of ongoing thankfulness to God. And by the way, you have a reason to be in a state of ongoing thankfulness to God, even when things don't go your way, even when your circumstances stink. We should be in a state of thankfulness. Spirit-controlled people are thankful people, not complaining people. And then we see in that last verse, verse 21, submitting. Now, this result is particularly important because the idea of submission occurs repeatedly in the rest of this passage and even into chapter 6. Uh, we'll talk, uh, it will be in chapter 6 next week. But a person who is filled with the Spirit is a person who is humble and meek and gentle. Now, let's contrast that with a person who is brash and arrogant and forceful. Listen, a person who is brash and arrogant and forceful is not a person who is filled with the Spirit. Uh, you know, the Lord, the Lord himself is our example for this. Christ was humble in spirit. Uh, and that word submit, that means to be arranged under, in the military terms, it would be referencing how soldiers are to be in submission to those in higher ranks. Their good soldiers surrender control of their ambitions and their thoughts and their plans for the war, and they submit themselves to those that are in higher authority to them. Christians were to humbly serve others. Now you might be wondering, Brother Darren, you're talking all about this uh, filled with the spirit stuff. What does that have to do with marriage? Well, because this is the preface to everything Paul is about to say. In our life, in our relationships, the foundation of, of, of a spiritual, biblical relationship is to be some, uh, filled with the Spirit. And so we see from verse 22, uh, I have two points in this sermon. It's the foundation of all healthy relationships. And then Paul talks about better wives and better husbands. So if you're a wife and a husband and you didn't plan on hearing this morning, buckle up, okay? I, I, one of the one of the sweet ladies in our church, knowing that we are uh, coming to this text, uh, had had some advice for me about what I should say about wives. And I'm just going to apologize. I'm just going to stick to what God's Word says, okay? So if you like it, good. That's what God's Word says, okay? Whole books have been written about the following passage that we're about to look at. And I'm just going to hit the highlights. Uh, but I, I will say you that Marriage is an incredibly important subject, especially in our present culture. Right now, the enemy is doing everything he can to confuse people and tear down the foundations of God's plan for marriage. So, when we see this in the news, I want you to understand this is not a culture war, it is a spiritual war. Now we're not to 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 jump into that war with a spirit of judgment and, and and hostility and a spirit of anger or anything like that no we're to be like Jesus and to show what a biblical marriage looks like and what biblical relationships are supposed to look like uh, uh, as an example and then be gentle and kind in how we uh, how we talk about the culture stuff that's going on around our world but I want to ask this question. I asked it already. What is biblical marriage? I think John Stott, uh, not one of my favorite commentators, but he had a really great quote on this. Uh, I think he sums it up well. He says, marriage is an exclusive heterosexual covenant between one man and one woman, ordained and sealed by God, preceding by the leaving of parents, uh, consummated in sexual union, issuing in a permanent mutually supportive partnership, and normally crowned with the gift of children. I think that's a pretty good summarization of biblical marriage. Paul doesn't give us, in this passage, an exhaustive uh, 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 teaching on marriage, but he, he touches on key responsibilities of husbands and wives. So, as I said, buckle up, listen up. First, Paul begins in verse 22 with, better wives. I would say spirit-filled wives. In verse 22, he writes, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands, as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, let uh, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And then let's jump down to verse 33. At the very end of that, it says, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I feel like I should pray right now before I jump into any more of this. Because my wife is in here listening to me. You know, many might struggle with the idea of wives having to submit. But uh, we all need reminding that the whole Christian life is about submission. Okay? Not just the wives. The whole of your Christian life is about submission. The wife is called to submit to a husband who is submitted to the idea of dying for her. The husband should be the first to apologize. He should be the first to forgive. He should be the first to serve. He is to demonstrate the humility of Jesus before her in his walk. And we also should remember that God is infinitely wise. When we think about this idea of wives submitting to their husbands, remember that God is infinitely wise and he's also infinitely good. And so anything he has to say is for our good and we should probably listen. So the instructions that he gives, there's two things I see in these, uh, these uh, four verses. Is, is they're, they're clear instructions. There's to be submission and respect. Uh, I say respect at the end of verse 33. That's where we see that she reverence her husband. Husband, Another way to translate that is respect. She should respect her husband. Let's deal with respect first, reverence first. I think a better word would be fear. And now the ladies might bristle, I don't know. (laughs) But again, this is not fear in, in a terror kind of fear, but awe. And you might wonder why. Why should I be in awe of my husband? Yeah, I don't blame you for thinking that. I I, I would wonder why Melissa should be in awe of me. Boy, she's got a big old grin on her face right now, by the way. She's enjoying this. Uh, The reason is because, I I believe at least, because the husband is going to have to stand before God and give an account to God about how he uh, loves and cares for his family and leads his family. Now, we should all be in awe of that responsibility, We should be in awe of that very idea of of this assignment, having to give an account for how we lead our families. You know, women usually crave love. And if I'm wrong about that, then I should have asked my wife, I guess. I think women usually crave love. But men, we crave respect. The wife, I think, should in light of this text see the responsibility her husband has and respect him and love him and pray for him
1: and respect his needs respect
0: but i i said there was two instructions the other the second is to submit and here's that i don't know i imagine all the ladies bristling Urgh, i don't like that idea bristling at the idea of submitting to your Husband, but the same idea is shown in five other places in the New Testament. And ladies, if you want to double check me, you can write these down. It's also put down in Colossians three eighteen, also in First Peter three one, also in First Timothy two verses eleven through thirteen is a good place to look. Also in Titus chapter two verses four and five, and then in First Corinthians eleven verse three. All of these places shares the idea of a wife submitting to her husband. So I don't think that I can satisfy your bristles and back off of this. But I, I want to say that Paul doesn't say that wives should submit to all men, just their husband.
1: And the husband is the head of his wife, not of all women.
0: I I also think I think this is a voluntary submission that Paul is trying to describe in a happy Christian relationship. So this is wives who freely and responsibly follow the loving leadership of a faithful Christian husband who is not a tyrant. Listen, this this idea of submission is, is not about subservience. It's not about a slave relationship or or even a chain of command where the subject obeys without question. I would say that this illustration is not the uh, picture of a man laying on a couch watching watching football and saying, hey, bring me some pretzels. That's not a biblical picture of marriage. Headship is rooted in, Headship for the husband is rooted all the way back in Genesis, in creation. This is not chauvinism. This is creationism. I think we should also note that there's a difference between what is described in this passage and what one might call traditional marriage. In, in traditional marriage, there's a division of responsibilities where the, you know, the woman cooks and cleans and does the laundry and, and while men are outside of the home earning income. In Scripture now, it does talk about the man uh, working outside the home as a primary responsibility and as the home being the center of the woman's life, but these are not exclusive in Scripture. I can't find it there. So I think as long as there's Christ-like leadership from husbands and loving submission practiced by their wives, I think it's okay for the wife to be the main breadwinner. I think it's okay for the husband to cook. Okay? I cook often. All right? I'm not going to say this because I know I'm going to step in it deep if I even say this, but the husband might be a better cook. I don't know. Okay? I don't think I am. Not at all. Yeah, I'm getting looks over here. Quit looking that way, Darren. This is not about traditional 1950s marriage, okay? This is not leave it to beaver. This is two people
1: who are put together in a way that honors God. Paul gives an illustration. It's part of this.
0: An illustration uh, that really shows the gospel. And he describes it in verse 32 as, uh, as, as profound. And verse 32 says this is a great mystery. It's profound. He says, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. This is the illustration. This this picture of marriage. Marriage is awesome. Uh, come on guys, we need to amen that, okay? You're sitting next to your wife. Marriage is awesome. Amen. Yeah, okay. This illustration that Paul gives is awesome. It gives us the ultimate Picture of marriage. Verse twenty four, it says, "Wives give a picture of the church to the world." That says, uh, 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 there, therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands." This is a picture to the world of this relationship between Christ and the church. Uh, and, and verse twenty three, it says, "Husbands, husbands are giving a picture of Christ to the world that He's willing to die for this uh, for this love that He has. Christ is the head." But look at the kind of of head that he was. In verse 25, it says he loved the church. In verse 25, it also says he gave himself up for her. Verse 26, it says he sanctified her. In verse 26, it also says he cleanses her. In verse 27, he presents her. And in verse 29, he finishes with saying he nourishes and cherishes her. Listen, this is the ultimate. Uh, uh, picture of marriage. We're going to get to husbands in a little bit and y'all are going to have to buckle up because we got, you know, Paul has a lot more to say to husbands and about husbands than he does about wives. This not only gives us a, the ultimate uh, picture of marriage, but also the ultimate purpose of marriage. And the purpose of the church is, is the glory of Christ. And listen, members, if if we're here this morning and God is not receiving glory, then we're doing it wrong. If we're moving forward as a church, supporting missions and doing things, but it's for our glory and not for his, then we're doing it wrong. Listen, the ultimate purpose of the church is the glory of Christ. That's what it says in verse 22, as unto the Lord, making melody into our hearts, as unto the Lord. And then, as Christ loved the church in verse 25, as the Lord the church, as the Lord cherisheth and desireth and nourisheth the church in verse 29, everything in this passage and everything in our life and everything in your marriage points to Christ. All of it. This should give us some perspective when we face problems like in, in our marriage, I'm talking about problems in our marriage, like communication problems or, or financial problems or. or Personal conflicts. Uh, I don't think any of us guys were ever prepared to share a bedroom and bathroom with a woman. Okay? And praise God for that woman having the patience to put up with us. Listen, we have personality conflicts. Or or even when we face uh, uh, issues regarding the past. Ultimately, we're to be surrendered to the lordship of Christ and the need to give him glory in our life in marriage. The purpose of marriage is to give glory to God. If the starting point of your marriage is you, yourself, and you, or me, myself, and I, well, then you're starting in the wrong place, and so am I. Marriage exists for Christ's glory. Marriage should be an offering of worship to Christ as you love one another. Think about that now. Think about that. Think about how 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 your relationship with your loved one, with your spouse, it's supposed to glorify God. And you might ask yourself the question, is my relationship, am I behaving in such a way that glorifies God? You need to examine that. Consider what Paul has written here. I think it gives us amazing hope for marriage. Christ died for the church, he's dis- displaying our sinfulness and, and his saving grace. And marriage is intended to point us to the Redeemer who paid for our sins. The marriage of Christ and the church. It's a pretty solid marriage. There's no breakup happening anytime
1: soon. When we talk about spirit-filled, better wives, let's talk about better husbands. Oh, all right, husbands, you all ready? Oh, you're not ready. I hear it. Look at verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church, and
0: gave himself for it. You know if the golden rule is to do unto others as you would have them do unto you then God's golden rule for husbands and marriage takes it further in saying do unto your wife as Christ has done for you. I mean we're talking about Christ-like love. What kind of Christ-like what kind of love did Christ display? How about Golgotha kind of love? where he was scourged, his hands and feet were nailed to a piece of wood, a spear was thrust into his side, a crown of thorns uh, pressed into his head, all because he loved the church. Christ's love was a sacrificial love. It's a a foot-washing kind of love. I mean, you want to be the head? You want to be the head of the home? Well, think about what kind of head Jesus was. He, he was a head. He's, the, he's our model in headship. He came to serve even though he was the head. He, he showed unparalleled humility and love. My goodness, the neighbors ought to look at your relationship between your, you and your wife, man, and see unparalleled humility and love towards your wife. That doesn't mean uh, 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 like you're, you turn into a wimp Okay, And that you just cow to everything she says, No. What it means is you love her in humility and meekness and gentleness, and that you love her sacrificially. Men, biblical marriage is a call for you to die. Dying to yourself, it might involve sacrifices. It might mean you you change the schedule of your life to love your wife. You might change your ambitions. You might, you know, give up some time towards your hobbies. Uh, Some of you guys might go, but I like to golf. I don't know why. It's awful. It's hot out there. My goodness. I think I would enjoy golfing if we lived in Minnesota, but not here in Texas. Or football. Brother Darren, stop talking about football. It's coming up. Listen, biblical marriage is a call for men to die. Men, biblical marriage is a call uh, to give yourself away for the good of your bride. To Christ, the bride was his prize, and he gave everything for it. And I'm not getting a lot of amens. Boys, y'all better wise up here, okay? You might be shocked by these words, but... We read over this text and we go, oh yeah, I've heard that many many times before. We don't think about what this really means. Men, this is serious. Biblical marriage means you give yourself away. Christ gave himself for the church. Men, biblical marriage means crucifying your flesh and and resolving to be faithful to your bride, not uh, yielding to the temptations of lust or anger or pride. Man, I'm going to share.
1: One more statement about this. Men, biblical marriage is a call to serve. Christ-like love takes the initiative.
0: Men, if you're not taking the initiative to serve and love your wife, and you're just kind of a passive guy, you're, you're missing it. It's not Christ-like love. You're to actively love and pursue your wife. And Christ-like love isn't just service and about serving, but it's also with a Christ-like attitude about that service. You know, did you ever see in, in Scripture where it describes Jesus uh, uh, washing the feet of the disciples, those filthy, dirty feet? Did, do you hear him down there on the ground grumbling, murmuring? No. He wanted to do it out of love for
1: those men that he loved that were part of his church. our call to serve. We're to have sacrificial
0: love. We're to have sanctifying love. Look in verse 26, 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You know, there's a lot to talk about here, but let me cut to the core of it. Uh, washing of water by the word, I think that means that husbands should keep the word of the gospel present in his marriage. Gospel means, is the means by which we experience spiritual cleansing. It uh, talks about the word, Christ cleanses us through the word of the gospel. And practically, I think this means that men, we should be in God's word personally, in our own personal life. I'm not talking about drag your wife over there and you study with her and make her study. No, I'm talking, you need to be in God's word and then you need to live it out before her. You need to be in the word yourself. You need to talk with her about the word. You need to know about your wife's relationship to God and you need to care for her soul. Sanctifying love. And let's look at these last few verses, verse 28. We see satisfying love. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. And for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Husbands are to love their wives as
1: their own bodies. <sighs> Husbands you should provide and nourish and care for your bride just as you care about yourself,
0: and he underscores that genesis two twenty four under this command reminding that the husband the husband that the two have become one flesh, listen. When you're loving her and you're putting her needs uh, as, as high as your own, uh, maybe even before your own, well, listen, you are, you're satisfying not just her flesh, but yours also. And this might, some people, this might sound like something that can be self-serving for husbands, but I don't think the biblical interpretation would, uh, would show this as the case. The biblical inter- interpretation shows that the two have become one flesh, so just As you long to satisfy, husbands, as you long to satisfy your own needs, husbands, you need to satisfy your wife's needs. If your wife is unsatisfied, it's your responsibility to fix it. Okay? I said fix it, okay? Because husbands, we like to fix things, don't we? Fixing it might mean shut up and just listen to what she has to say, okay? All right, back off a little bit. Don't be up in her grill all the time about having to fix her stuff. She doesn't always appreciate that, or at least my wife doesn't, okay? Um, shut up, Darren, okay. Satisfy your wife's needs. Just men, as, as you long for intimacy, as you long for joy and security, health and peace and, and companionship and community, uh, you need to provide these things for your wife also, I listed a bunch of things there. I'm gonna list them again, just so you can pay attention: intimacy, joy, security, health, peace, companionship, community. Your wife should have be able to find all of these things in your in her marriage to you. You need to provide these for her. It means that you might sacrifice your own ambitions
1: and dreams. Men, men you might bristle at that. I don't care. Do it. This is what God's example is. God commands us to nourish her and cherish her. Husbands, a godly marriage, a better marriage, is heavily dependent upon you. My spiritual godly marriage, biblical marriage, is heavily dependent on me. To love Melissa as I covenanted that I would. I could keep going. Let's just conclude with these thoughts. God ordained marriage. Christ then set the pattern for marriage, and the Spirit, fulfilled with it, will empower our marriage to be a beautiful, wonderful thing. This morning, we were getting ready for church, and Melissa uh, was always a little bit ahead of me, if that's just who she is. And I was thinking of the song, Stephen Curtis
0: Chapman's song, Heaven in the Real World. Hey, that, that's what your marriage should be. That's what my marriage is many times. If it's not, it's my fault. It's
1: because of sin on my own part, usually. It should be heaven in the real world. The good news of the gospel is that Christ died for those who couldn't keep the law perfectly. Guys.
0: Ladies, we're not going to be able to be perfect in our marriage. But the good news is that the Spirit daily renews us and will empower us if we submit ourselves to it, to Him. We should look for His grace and mercy and we'll find it in Christ and in the Holy Spirit. I think this whole passage should cause us to rest and rejoice in our heavenly groom. And I started with a Spurgeon quote. I'm going to end with a Spurgeon
1: quote. Wonderful quote. He said, this love of
0: Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven. If you're here this morning, you're not married, or you're not married yet, or you were married, this is for you too. This is not just a marriage quote. This love of Christ is the most amazing thing under heaven. If not in heaven itself, how often have I said to you that if I had heard that Christ pitied us, I could understand it. If I had heard that Christ had mercy upon us, I could comprehend it. But when it, when it is written that he actually loves us, that is quite another and a much more extraordinary thing. Love between mortal and mortal is quite natural and comprehensible, but love between the infinite God and us poor sinful finite creatures, though conceivable in one sense, is utterly inconceivable in another. And then he finishes with a a couple of questions. Who can grasp such an idea? Who could fully understand it? Especially when it comes in this form He loved me and gave Himself for me.
1: And this, Spurgeon writes, is the miracle of
0: miracles. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that miracle personally in your life, let me tell you, Christ loves you. This infinite God of infinite holiness and righteousness, rightness and goodness and and judgment, righteous judgment and justice, this infinite God who is the creator of all things loved you so much that he gave himself and died on a cross for you. And his blood was shed so that you might have the free gift of salvation, so that you might have that that opportunity to understand your need for a savior, and maybe you're here this morning you heard me talk about the, the the awesomeness of marriage and what a real biblical marriage looks like, but, but maybe you've never you 'll never be able to appreciate that until you're, you're fully experiencing that relationship with Christ. Let me tell you, today is the day you can trust Christ, but if you're here this morning and you're part of this church and you've, uh, you're have you saved and already part of a marriage or looking towards marriage or looking back on your past marriage. Let me tell you, God wants to bless you through marriage, but it's about Him. And the only way we're going to be able to do it
1: is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's stand together. Father, I thank you.
0: Lord, there's so much to talk about in this passage. and I, I feel like I just barely scratched the surface, but Lord, I know that um, I, I need to hear this. Uh, my marriage needs this. I, our marriage, marriages need this. Lord, we're supposed to be a picture of heaven in the real world to people around us. We're we're, we're to be a picture of, 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 uh, of Christ and the church to the people around us. Or the only way we can do that is through you. We need you, Lord. So hap- so easy for us to fall into our own habits and. And focus on our own feelings and our own preferences and allow those to govern our choices and how we treat people in our relationships. But God, I pray you would help us to just check those ideas at the door and say, Lord, I understand I'm supposed to do it your way. Lord, help us to do marriage your way. Lord, I know there might be one here this morning who's never trusted you as your Savior. Maybe they've been seeking Salvation through other means, trying to be good, trying to get into the right church, getting baptized, all those sort of things that are good things, but your word says that none of them will satisfy the wrath of God. None of them is an opportunity or a way of salvation. The only way is through belief in the only begotten Son. God, I pray that you would just allow that person to check their own personal man made ideas at the door and say, God, I understand, I've been trying to get saved.
1: Lord, I see now I need to do it your way. And I pray that they'll trust you today. Lord, I pray for you to be with this time of invitation. Help us to respond to your word accordingly. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Christ's name. We pray, amen. What shall we say?